everybody, and welcome to the Kane and Rince podcast. It's volume 6, issue 297, Final Fantasy 1. Uh, you can play along with what's left of this year of the show. Volume 6 ends uh, at the end of 2017 with issue 300. You can find the list at kanerince.com, but our next three shows, the remaining three, are Mario Kart 64, Call of Duty, the original, and only the original, and then we close with The Witcher 3, Hearts of Stone and Blood and Wine DLCs. As well as that list, you can find things like uh, features, reviews, articles uh, on our website, canerince.com, but also links to our social spaces, Facebook forum, YouTube channel, things like that. And if you enjoy what we do, especially these podcasts, we have a Patreon. And if you think that the hours that we put in and that you get, uh, hopefully, of enjoyment listening to them, you can uh, pledge to donate to us a dollar a month which is uh, less than a euro around 80 pence uh, at the time of recording and it really really helps us keep on doing what we do because it's uh, an extremely time and effort intensive project as much as we love it uh, so patreon.com slash cane and rinse you can also buy merch shop.spreadshirt.co.uk slash cane and rinse t-shirts and bags with our logo on for both uh, the cane and rinse podcast but also sound of play our other podcast if you don't listen to that one you ought to do uh, it's uh, it's our love of video games music where we talk to community members, composers and other people from around the industry and listen to tunes from across the history of the video games music medium. Uh, I think we have a very exciting guest lined up in the near future. Not quite confirmed yet, so I won't say anything, but uh, you should definitely subscribe to Sound of Play as well as this and review and rate on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Now, joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 297, are Joshua Garrity. Hello there. Also embarking on this epic quest, we have, of course, Leah Haydu. Hello. Perhaps the biggest Final Fantasy fan among us. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, and especially for this uh, first show, which was originally going to be one and two, but uh, that seemed like a good idea a year ago, less so as we came up towards it. It's John Salmon. Hello. Hi, hi. So, yeah, uh, Tony and I, when we were, it was probably about 11.30 at night or possibly even early in the morning when we were planning uh, this volume a year ago, pretty much. And we thought, yeah, we could do one and two in one show. But as it came nearer the time, uh, it became increasingly apparent that that wasn't such a good idea, either for the show or for our own uh, sort of lifestyle quality. So um, not, not, I'm not saying, you know, bad game, but... Uh, but obviously the, it's time consuming um, what we actually think of the game will become apparent hopefully over the next couple of hours as well as uh, some of our correspondence so Final Fantasy 1 uh, it has been commented upon the ironic nature of its name uh, there have been theories about why the game is called Final Fantasy uh, but uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi said that uh, they'd always wanted a, a name that could be shortened to FF uh, that way the game's title could be abbreviated in the Latin script and pronounced in four syllables in the Japanese language. Uh, the original working title was Fighting Fantasy, uh, but of course there was a tabletop game and a series of books uh, under that name, copyright perhaps elsewhere in the world, don't know if they're in Japan. 
Um, but they settled on final uh, basically for two reasons. Uh, supposedly Sakaguchi's personal situation was that if he uh, if he wasn't successful with this particular game, he was going to quit the game industry and return to university. And also Square hadn't done so well in uh, with its uh, previous few games, wasn't uh, hugely profitable and was under the threat of bankruptcy. Uh, so it was kind of a last ditch effort. Uh, I think that's a well told story, but uh, worth going over for this show. Uh, Sakaguchi confirmed some of these uh, theories, but he did. He has downplayed the rationale for the word final, saying that it was a back-to-the-wall type situation. Any word that starts with an F would have been fine, so you can make up your own titles uh, for what, what the series could have been. Uh, Sakaguchi has also been quoted as saying, I don't have what it takes to make an action game. I think I'm better at telling a story. He'd wanted to make a role-playing game for a long time, but Square, at that point, were not an RPG studio and refused to give him permission as they weren't expecting such a title to be a hit, thinking it was more of a niche concern. However, when Enix, of course a separate entity at this point, released a game called Dragon Quest, Dragon Warrior in the US uh, came out as a massive hit and so uh, this was, uh, Square obviously took this as a cue to approve the idea of um, a game inspired by things like Ultima and Wizardry uh, apparently only three of his colleagues volunteered to join Sakaguchi on this project because he had a reputation as something of a tough boss uh, and also I've heard it said that Sakaguchi's mother passing away before the making of this game uh, had some influence on the sort of nature of the the story uh, whether that's true or not I guess I don't know I don't have a quote so uh, Sakaguchi before this game had worked on some games for the NEC uh, PC 8801 and the 9801 and the Sharp uh, these sort of machines that were popular in the early mid 80s in Japan or somewhat popular uh, also worked on uh, Rad Racer for the uh, Famicom as well the NES and things like 3D World Runner uh, also, uh, interestingly, the programmer is, uh, or the, one of the main programmers is a guy called Nasir Gebeli, or Jebeli, I'm not entirely sure, but he was an Iranian-American who'd previously worked uh, at a studio called Sirius Software, going all the way back to 1980 after being inspired by uh, Space Invaders and worked on some games, things like Space Eggs and Pulsar 2 and Gorgon. Then he formed his own studio uh, with uh, minor success, but then uh, ended up meeting with people from Nintendo and Square and ended up going over to to Japan to work on things like Rad Racer and then Final Fantasy series and perhaps most famously Secret of Mana uh, and the composer for this game uh, of course is Nobuo Uematsu uh, Yoshitaka Amano is uh, credited as an artist but I don't know whether that's only for the sort of the subsequent artwork that's been done for the game or whether he was involved from the very beginning not sure uh, and one of the writers, well, two writers, Sakaguchi himself, but also Kenji Tarada, uh, who was best known for his work in anime prior to this. This was his first game, but he'd worked on things like uh, Kinikuman and Dirty Pear, which I always think is an absolutely tremendous name. I have no idea what Dirty Pear is really about, and I don't want to know. So the game came out in December 1987. So that's why we're covering it now, because it's 30 years ago, pretty much exactly. Uh, North America had to wait uh, three and a half years, no, two and a half years, I guess, uh, to July 1990. 
Uh, and we have a, a one of these wonderful little posts from our forum from somebody who was kind of there in America, at least in 1990. Uh, the game never came out in its original form in the EU because the NES was was certainly not a big deal uh, and certainly not by 1990. But new poster from canorince.com slash forum blue all day says it was 1990 i was eight years old and my friend joey invited me to his house to play a new game his parents had bought him the first thing i remember was the box about a black background a floating orb and crossed medieval weapons it was unlike most nes boxes at the time konami's were silver capcom's were a shade of purple nintendo's were bright and colorful this one set itself apart then I stared at the map, one of the best pieces of packing materials that I can remember. Before you even turn the game on, you see how huge this game world is. On the reverse side, a complete bestiary with photos and information on every enemy except for the final boss. I must have stared at that thing for half an hour. What were we about to get into? We sat in his living room, turned on the NES, and I was put into a trance by the melody from the title screen. Little did I know that this music would go on to be an earworm to this day. The prologue text, hardly enough to fill one screen, was enough to set my imagination on fire. We were going to save the world with warriors of light, fighting against dark forces determined to take over the world. My first RPG experience was going to be epic. We traded off a bit, but I mostly watched my friend play that ga uh, the game that evening. Considering the nature of the game, I didn't mind. I was perfectly happy listening to the overworld music, selecting character classes, making shop decisions together, and taking over for an occasional battle. Each encounter felt like a big deal. The enemies were legitimately scary looking, and again, that music just keeps you rolling along. After what seemed like an eternity for an NES game, we fought Garland, returned to town to rest up, and then we cross a bridge. I don't know if I can explain how significant this bridge crossing was at the time, and I don't know if I can think of a recent comparison. Perhaps the feeling of jumping off the Great Plateau in Breath of the Wild for the very first time and floating down to a new and intimidating world would be a close analogue. In Final Fantasy, it was this moment when you realise your quest hasn't even begun. Now, away from the protection of the kingdom, you're on your own. That night, we played until we were bleary-eyed and got stuck on the long trek towards the Fire Fiend. After that, I couldn't get the game out of my mind. I must have asked my friend about it every day at school. He started to tell me about a rat's tail and how a character changed into a freaking ninja. The next time I went to his house, he showed me what it looks like when you're all levelled up and ready to fight chaos. Alas, we could never make it to the final battle. I never did own Final Fantasy when I was that age. It was this game that I experienced through rentals and sketching the characters and enemies in my notebook. The memories always stuck with me. So that's such a fantastic post because it gives us some idea of what it was like uh, at the time, whereas uh, I think some of us will have come to this game more recently. Uh, Leah, obviously you were you are the American among us, and so therefore you were more likely to have an NES back in the day, but um, you'd have been pretty young in 1990, but were, were you there at the start? I, I wasn't. Um, I was, nah. I'm, I'm in the same... Uh, I, I'm a little bit older than... Uh, than blue all day here um but mm -hmm. i i did not actually have uh an nes um when they were new i had plenty of friends who had them but i did not come to this game until a little bit later uh now right. i had played it considerably before um any um anything was being considered for the show um but yes. uh, it, it was after i had played other final fantasy games so this was not my first sure. um but it's even even going back now it is just fascinating to me how 
it's different from any of the other Final Fantasies that that come after it, but it also has all of these elements that come back later on. And and many of them are in a more polished form, and we'll get into more specifics later. But I, I think that having this be the first one that you go into that is that is actually an experience that i envy because it just it sounds really cool to not have had anything like this and then just to have this kind of spreading yeah. out and just kind of blowing up in front of you that's that's and a really neat experience yes and if 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 we're thinking now how maybe in some ways this game feels a little archaic to us at 30 years old imagine in 30 years time when people are playing breath of the wild going <laughs> oh my god it was so limited and repetitive and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the game has been ported to a number of systems uh, the fir- the only sort of contemporaneous port was the M- msx2 in japan only in 1989 uh, then there was a big old gap before it came to the wonder swan color in 2000 again japan only uh all around the world, it finally got a release in, in the EU on the PS1, uh, on the uh, Final Fantasy Origins uh, compilation, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, actually, we've had a post on this from Dusk versus Tweak from the forum, who says, I didn't play the first Final Fantasy until the Origins edition for the PlayStation. This was long after I played 6 through 10. While the first game showed its age in its uh, NES graphics and simplified gameplay, I was surprised by how little had actually changed over the years. I felt right at home with the battle systems, spells and classes. The music was right on point from the get-go and the sprites had character and made the party identifiable. I think what stands out in my memory is that playing Final Fantasy 1 was still fun, even for a 16-year-old coming to the game late. The story was simple, to the point of being non-existent, but what was there was charming, almost like a classic Dungeons and Dragons campaign. There was also something warm about going back to not just the origin of Final Fantasy, but to the NES itself, the system of my youth. So yeah, that was early 2000s. Then there was the GBA version, uh, Dawn of Souls, which was a one and two double cart, uh, which is the one that I've played for the show. A few other uh, oddments. PSP version arrived, 2007, 8. You can still buy that and play it on your PS3 or Vita. Uh, iOS and Android versions arrived in 2010 and 11, and Windows Phone popped up a little bit more recently, as recently as 2015 in Japan. Uh, the game sold uh, apparently 600,000 copies across the uh, Japanese format, the two Japanese formats, Famicom and MSX. And over in America, it sold the NES version sold 700,000 copies. So we're not dealing, you know, we're dealing in uh, more than a million in total, um, but not millions in any one territory. As of uh, March t- 2003, when uh, I guess when the around the GBA time, um, the game had shipped uh, just under 2 million copies. Uh, PSP version shipped around 150,000 copies. And uh, obviously the game's had uh, a number of awards and accolades over the years. IGN ranked uh, ranks FF1 as the 11th best game on the NES and Games Radar ranked it the 8th. So uh, back to our panel then, John. Now, uh, the reason uh, we've brought you back, friend of the show, into this one is because I think we were having a conversation, you and I, and you happened to mention that you or maybe Tony told me but that you've completed this like uh, you, you got into it in a big way and completed it multiple times. Uh, yeah, to some extent, uh, I think both of the things were correct. I think we talked about it on a Sound of Play a while ago, and uh-huh, uh, right. every time Tony's mentioned Final Fantasy to me and talked about putting forward Final Fantasy for this show, I keep telling him that I played played the absolute hell out of the first game, and yeah, yeah, I feel like I, I should probably probably talk about that. Um, 
so I played it originally on the Windows phone of all places because I was oh, one of the okay. few people who ended up with a Windows phone as my first <laughs> smartphone in 2011, yeah. I think. I played this a couple of years later. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I do play quite a lot of games. I probably don't play as many as a lot of other people, but I tend to stick with games a lot. And if I start playing something, I normally at least see it all the way through to the end, if not try and seek out a lot of the extra content so Mm. uh, i think i probably spent 60 or 70 hours playing this on my windows Mm. phone and yeah i think the windows phone version is a port of the psp versions which has all of the extra content that they released over the course of years so it's one of these weird situations where like the um the main storyline takes about 20 hours to get through, but if you want to do all these ridiculous bonus dungeons and stuff, you're looking at another 30 or 40 hours on top. Um, right. And I yeah. I committed to it, and I thought I'm going to fill up the uh, the bestiary, which ends up being something like 210 entries. Right, yeah. And yeah, I went for it. <laughs> cool, I was going to ask you about that later. So that, that's cool. Uh, yeah, so, uh, well, we'll talk about versions kind of as as, as and when we, we come to it. Uh, so... Uh, Leah, which uh, which versions did you play? Did we did we clarify that? I, well, I, I think I mentioned that I uh, that I played it a little bit later. Um, so yeah. I didn't. I've never played the NES version on the NES, but I did no. play a little bit of the Virtual Console version on the Wii, uh, right. which I think is based off of the NES version. It I is completely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but my most of my experience with it would have been or has been the uh, the PS One version. Um, so the Origins version. Uh, I've also played the PSP version, which is largely the same, but with uh, kind of updated graphics. Um, And I've also played, uh, I don't recall if I've ever finished it because I don't currently own a copy, but I have also played the uh, the Dawn of Souls version Mm -hmm. uh, for the Game Boy Advance. But most of what I have played uh, has been that uh, that Origins version, uh, which I also have downloaded from PSN. So I've played that on my Vita as well. Um, and the one of the things that um, kind of made that version attractive to me uh, and. I, again, we'll we'll talk about more d- in detail about version differences, but um, something that's uh, kind of unique to that version is that it has what they call an easy mode, um, mm. which kind of, if you don't want to go through all of the grinding, that's kind of a nice yeah. thing to have available. Uh, and you can argue that um, some of the grinding is kind of what makes it a Final Fantasy game to an extent but um, yeah. it's nice to have that option available I think um, and again it's I don't believe something that any of the other versions actually do offer um, so that I think that might have been my first actual experience with it might have mm. been that easy mode yeah so I guess Josh uh, you haven't played the the original NES or Famicom version either no I haven't um, my experience is with the uh, PSP version so with the updated art style yeah, so I played the. Uh, I've I've owned various versions over the years, but the one I've ended up with uh, keeping and playing for the show is the Game Boy Advance Dawn of Souls version. Uh, so from the forum, Ari G says, "I own too many copies of Final Fantasy One and Two. I own them physically on PS One, on GBA, and on PSP, and digitally on the Wii and PSN. I don't know how this happened. <laughs> I enjoyed the games when I played them, and I didn't dislike the second entry as much as many others do. But with so many other games available out there and so many more interesting Final Fantasy stories, I can't see myself playing them again. 
I played Final Fantasy 1 and 2 as a means of exploring the legacy of a franchise that defined part of my childhood. In the UK and Europe in general, we were a little late getting Final Fantasy. The first Final Fantasy I played was Mystic Quest on the Super Nintendo. I made note of the name and a couple of years later when I discovered emulation, I found pleasure in Final Fantasy 4 and 6. I loved them and so dived back further into the history of the series. I remember finding the first game an interesting simplification of the core gameplay and the second an interesting mechanical experiment that didn't quite pay off. I wasn't disappointed as such, but the magic wasn't there in the same way as it was for 4 and 6. I didn't recapture that magic until I played Final Fantasy 7 and didn't surpass it until I played 8. So, yeah, let's talk briefly about versions because obviously it has informed our experience. So we've heard from somebody at the beginning of the show who was there for the Famicom original. And actually, if you compare and contrast them side by side, they're definitely recognisable. But every version post the PS1 version has had graphical enhancements, audio enhancements, uh, and perhaps most significantly, even the versions without the auto battle and the easy mode, uh, which is something that increasingly Square have been putting in their sort of uh, re-releases of these games with uh, with the PS4 version of Final Fantasy 7 for instance having a uh, a no random battles mode but they were uh, they were tweaked anyway so the the core game is absolutely the same but uh, frequency of random battles is down you earn more uh, XP and money for doing everything in every version post the original version I believe uh, other than say the MSX2 version um, so our experience will not have been as uh, as the purists might have uh, might want it to be, but I think from my ex- based on my experience of playing the GBA version, I wouldn't have wanted it to be any more grindy than, than it is. Uh, so we've we've all played slightly um, softened versions, shall we say? Slightly, uh, yeah, at least somewhat modernized um, versions. Uh, so we we do acknowledge that the original would have been a more hardcore experience uh but time moves on the world moves on and uh, yeah the the sort of the basic tenets of the game are absolutely still present uh, it's just been yeah just some of those harsh corners have been shaved off uh, as we like to say uh chase 210 from the forum says, I've tried playing the first Final Fantasy a few times now on PS1, GBA and PSP and I've never enjoyed it really. You can't deny the impact it had on RPG games as a whole mind, but as a game I don't think it's held up well. And that's the updates uh, it's been given in the iterations I've mentioned. The NES one on the NES Classic is even worse. Right. So I forgot that it was uh, even on the NES Classic because they don't exist. But um, yeah, yeah no, point. I... I, I I would actually, I think, if I ever do get a uh, my hands on one of those, like to kind of go back and um, and try that version again, just to kind of see how it holds up with what mm. I've played since then. I, I'm curious. I don't. I don't know if I would ever finish it. I was actually watching uh, earlier today um, a speed run of the original on the NES, and just okay. some of the some of the manipulation and some of the things that you can do in that game are, are fascinating. But just going through it as kind of a um, kind of air quotes pure experience I think would also be really interesting at this point yeah and so uh, I suppose one major change obviously there, there have been some a few little uh, mini cutscenes and things added mm-hmm. uh, on top of the original but also the way that the general battle screen is displayed is is it it's ever so slightly different is it like they, they exist in two windows rather than one is that right so there's kind of a divide between the, the, the hero party and the enemy party or is it, I guess it's just purely a, a, a visual 
it, I, I think that it is mostly a visual thing, um, and and that's true for a lot of older JRPGs in particular, yeah. where um, turn-based didn't mean so much. That, and this confused the heck out of me when I first started playing JRPGs, because I would play something that was a little bit older and say, well, they're not even hitting each other. It's the one guy yeah, steps right. up and swings yeah. his sword, and then numbers yeah. pop up over the enemy, and that's how that goes. They're not really fighting. Um, but yes, this yeah. is this is one of those, um, and and... I, I don't think that it looks bad. I think that the, the pixel art in particular actually looks really good, uh, yeah. but it is it is of that era. That's actually something I wanted to to ask you all about. We we're, we're going to be saying JRPG a lot. Um, some sometimes uh, in recent times we've been picked up for not uh, sort of uh, really explaining what a game Ooh, is, yes. and we're, we're just you know we're we're assuming a lot. And actually, there's a lot of stuff about playing this game. I played it having played quite a number of JRPGs, probably not as many as as you, Leah, possibly not as many as you, Josh. But there are so many sort of oddities and curios about this game that I immediately took for granted because I was so used to them, including the exact thing that you were just talking about, Leah. So are there some things that you can think of that if people hadn't played a game like this before that we should say before we continue talking about our experiences with this game, like stuff like the play, the characters don't hit each other, <laughs> like, and it's turn-based combat, you know, is there, is there more that we should kind of clarify without boring our hardcore listeners? I think that, to me, what I think of as the main difference between a JRPG and uh, a Western RPG, I guess you'd call it, is you don't have as much impact on your character's personality in a JRPG. You may mm. be able to still direct how they develop uh, mechanically like for instance in this particular game you can make your characters a mage um, so a magic user or a fighter so that they're using swords or you can make them into a thief so that they um, have you know more stealthy abilities but you don't really get a whole lot of dialogue choices or um, no. things that you can uh, steer them into as as it relates to character development. Now, that's a really, really broad characterization because not all JRPGs are like that. Not all Western no, RPGs sure. let you ca- customize your character uh, on a personality level. But that's kind of, to me, a JRPG has always meant something more uh, along the lines of they're giving you a story and you're filling in the gaps in that story rather with than numbers. you're making your own story <laughs> with your own character. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah, yeah so, you're hitting each other from uh, from one side of the screen. Yeah. Uh, you get points to uh, to make yourself better at things. Uh, so you can swing your sword better. You get more strength. Uh, if if anybody has played um, tabletop role playing games, in particular yes, exactly. Dungeons yeah. and Dragons, uh, which mm. somebody mentioned, I believe in in one of the uh, the posts from from previously, um, this is very much that. This is by far the most heavily D&D influenced game in the Final Fantasy series. Uh, you can see a lot of that in this, uh, in, in both a, a lot of the character designs as well as the developments of the characters themselves. Um, yeah, that's that's a really big thing. Yeah, because of the nature of yeah. 8-bit eight bit at this at mm-hmm. this time it was it tended to be you know you you could either play a text adventure which would uh, also tell a story but would actually have kind of dialogue and mm-hmm. uh, interactions or there were games like this like the the western rpgs we already mentioned there things like ultima which were you know set in very you know classic fantasy universes but it, it did tend to be all about the numbers and obviously we've we've come to a point now where 
things have di- diversified and diverged and you've got games like uh, Zelda which has never been about the numbers and that was actually and obviously the first Zelda actually came out <laughs> before this um but it was yeah it was taking role playing in a very different uh, different direction and now you obviously you've got things like the Witcher where you have aspect you have control over elements of everything um right down to how you act in certain yeah. situations and things like that so but obviously we're 30 years down the line sorry john um oh i was going to say that the um the bestiary in this is completely ripped out of a dnd handbook yeah right <laughs> even to the point where there's a whole bunch of goblins that are you get a goblin then one that's slightly more powerful than it with a color flip on it and yeah it's it's much more D than i was expecting going into yeah. it mm. it's not what i thought of as a classic jrpg with my fairly limited knowledge when i started playing this yeah they seem to have uh, uh this is massively generalized obviously there are literally thousands of jrpgs um but yes they seem to have uh, as the time has gone on taken more of their own influence or or taken influence from japanese um uh lore and and mysticism and things like that whereas at this point it was like well D obviously took most of its stuff from tolkien and and related matters and then so computer role playing games were obviously coming off the back of D&D and so there we are there we are yeah so you've got wargs and goblins and uh, and just lots of animals as well <laughs> you know just like you're you're often just yeah and, and but undead and things yeah, like another that another game well. where there are sharks mm. oh, yeah. yeah sharks not with legs though which yeah, is no, no disappointing for Mickey <laughs> yeah yeah let's talk about this this the scenario then um uh, I think uh, it's it's just the bare bones archetype. It, it couldn't really be any more straightforward. Yeah, and um, just to be negative straight from the off, that's fine. Um, <laughs> I um, it, it made me realise how important all of that stuff is to me mm, for this mm. style of game. Um, I was thinking a lot while, while playing this, thinking a lot about um, the original Legend of Zelda and kind of comparing this to that and why, um, while it, you know it's not my favourite in that series, the, the original Legend of Zelda, the core of it was compelling, whereas for me the core of this wasn't. And just, you know, personally speaking, it, it's because... The, the the base idea of The Legend of Zelda, uh, and I'm not just talking about like narrative theming, I'm talking about the actual gameplay and stuff like that, the just bare bones of that is inherently compelling. And I, and I feel like the series, of the, it, that series kind of bears that out where like each game kind of adds a little bit more detail and has like their own gimmick and stuff like that. But um, they keep the story relatively light and breezy. Like they don't feel the need to kind of build this. I mean, obviously there's a Hyrule historian and stuff like that if you want to go that deep. But in, in the individual games themselves, it's very much kind of classic adventure story because they know that the core of the experience is enough in of itself. It's enough of a driving force. Whereas with Final Fantasy, as the series goes along, there's more and more detail and more and more kind of weird, complex story, weird, complex lore, um, characters with multiple motivations and backstories. And it like made me kind of confront the fact that um, maybe the core gameplay of this series is not the reason why I play it. Mm. Even though later on, 
like I think they add mechanics that do interest me and and I don't inherently dislike uh, turn-based combat I actually no. f- really like it and yeah. I don't think there's anything about like this that's bad it's it's a weird situation like I don't think this game is bad at all but without that kind of driving force of a compelling cast of characters or a narrative that's that really gets me to invest in the world and the people in that world and 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 everything like that I found it a real slog to get through this game um and yeah, and, and I've really found myself missing all of that stuff. Mm. I suppose on the plus side, uh, it was before all the cliches kicked in. <laughs> you know, the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the young orphan boy being hoofed out the village because uh, he's brought a curse and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. But uh, this is literally, uh, there's a world in, in uh, interminable trouble and you turn up. <laughs> You, your party of four turns up and you have to uh, light these crystals up, basically, earth, fire, water and wind crystals and uh, and kill the big bad and you win and save the earth forever. That's <laughs> it. So, yeah. <laughs> Did that, does that work for you then, John? Um, I think it worked well enough for me. And I think my very limited experience with the Final Fantasy series probably lets me take a bit of a pass on this in right. a way that I feel... I mean, I completely put words in Josh's mouth here, but how much of your complaints about the story being shallow are based on the fact that you've played lots more Final Fantasy games from the last 15, 20 years, which have built up the story, and now you're going back to something that is Final Fantasy? I I mean... I absolutely like um you can't it's impossible for me to experience this game in a vacuum yeah. um yeah. I I have like my first final fantasy is 7 uh which for you know people who are fans of the classics would say that's the beginnings of the problems of the yeah. the <laughs> series but that I that that's that's final fantasy for me is mm. is yeah. 7 and onwards for many, many, many others yeah. that was, and um yeah. and for that but the thing is like I I was prepared. I I came into this with kind of an open mind and an understanding of what I was kind of getting into. Um, like I I I was open to you know receiving a kind of more stripped back version of yeah. that positively. And I, I, I mean, I was honestly kind of surprised by my reaction. And, and I do feel like it's kind of um, educated me a little bit on my own tastes and my own values because yeah. um, a, a similarly kind of stri- stripped back game in the form of, you know, no, I say stripped back, in in the context of uh, playing games later on in the series, it yes. feels stripped back. Um Important like, distinction, I, I, but, yeah. but um, like playing Legend of Zelda, like I, I found that compelling. Like it's not my favorite, but there was a, there was a forward momentum there. There was something pulling me forward, and I, 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 to be honest with you, I think I'd have to sit with it longer in my own head to kind of truly understand what the difference is there. Maybe it's just the kind of constant stop and start of uh, the turn-based combat, which I'm sure we'll get onto. Maybe it's just that uh, because Zelda is almost so simple, like even more simple than Final Fantasy, it has almost like a childlike charm that um, kind of gives it its own form of personality. But yeah, for whatever reason, like this setting just was not doing anything for me. Yeah. 
while I go back uh, a long way with games in general, uh, as regular listeners will know, uh, obviously context is important and that's why we always stress this. I'm playing, currently playing, uh, well, I was playing this simultaneously uh, as The Witcher 3 DLC. <laughs> and obviously that is a real, yeah, and it's like a massive contrast. And I'm not, yeah, there's certainly things about The Witcher 3 which uh, which I, I think we will see improved, you know, as the state of the art moves forward in the next few years. And so that's why, you know, these none of, although, you know, we talk about our shows being relatively timeless and evergreen, should we say, compared to other podcasts, things, things will change and will move on. Um, but obviously in terms of comparing sort of richness of experience in terms of just the amount of stuff there is to see and do not not talking about the graphics and the audio i'm talking about actually the sort of yeah the the detail and the depth and and the textures there's it's obviously going to be a stark contrast that said you know i love i love me 8 bit games and me 16 bit games um so uh, but like josh i had a similar uh, realization which is that although i'm perhaps often when we talk about games that we've played on this show i'm probably the person who i i probably pay less attention to the narrative uh, compared to some of the other Kane and Rince team members but actually again same experience in this it's like when it's gone I noticed it wasn't there kind of thing mm. I think the the Dungeons and Dragons style setup for me is something that keeps um, it keeps me interested in it I like the idea of here's a, a fire area and oh here you're going to get something that helps you breathe underwater and go to the underwater area and the boss is going to be a big squid thing and yeah I don't know what it is, but there's also a, an aspect of this game. The storyline to me felt like it was very much almost broken up into two parts where mm -hmm. the first part of the game, uh, you have what I think my my um, my best sort of uh, simile that I could draw at the time was it reminded me of um, something like the uh, Game Boy Legend of Zelda where you've got the little side quest where you find a toy and somebody trades it for something else and then somebody wants it and you go through yeah. the course of the whole game trading. And the beginning of this, I think you might fight the first fiend before it finishes, but it's a case of go here, this person wants this thing, go to the next village, find it, you know, beat a boss, get the item or beat a boss, get to a new area where the item is, come back. The person either flat out gives you another item or opens up another area or gives you a canoe so you can swim across to the next bit and it goes on like that for probably longer than I was expecting it to just trading bits and pieces I was actually surprised by the sort of uh, the very obvious uh, gear gating in this game I was expecting it to be more free form and open a bit more like the the Legend of Zelda that had come out the year before but actually it's got elements of uh, you know arcade adventures in that sense that's actually the most sort of I mean it's not really a puzzle as such although some of the signposting uh, would leave a lot to be desired by by modern standards in terms of there are there are quite a few areas as we talked about you know people always say about in in the first Zelda, the, the bush you have to burn. There is a hint somewhere, but it's a bit vague. And there's one, you know, mm. uh, people get sucked into bombing every corner of the screen. There are some some bits of Final Fantasy One where I think, uh, without referring to a walkthrough, one would spend many, many, many hours just wandering <laughs> and getting into endless uh, endless battles. But actually, you're right when when you complete a section or whatever you get an item and that allows you access to the next section it's actually i think it probably influenced what came later 
with um, a link to the past and Link's Awakening. So, so you, you referred to Link's Awakening there, but actually, I think maybe that that was taking some inspiration from Square rather than the other way around. Oh yeah, yeah, because mm. that game's what six or seven years newer yes. than this. So precisely, yeah, mm. yeah. I think that it was a a very smart bit of game design, actually. Uh, at the beginning here, though, because you do get what's almost a mini story before you set off on the light up all the crystals and then go kill the big bad. Um, mm. Because you have to kind of go be- before you're allowed into the kind of larger world, you have to go and rescue, literally rescue a princess. <laughs> so um, yes, yeah, I-, I think that I think that's really smart because as we've kind of mentioned, this is not. Uh, this was not a particularly prevalent type of game at that time. This is one of the the first ones that really had this specific formula in it. So maybe not a lot of people would have known exactly what it was that they were supposed to be doing, uh, right, especially yeah. since it's it's a console game. And if people were playing this type of game, then it was probably on a, a computer uh, of some kind at that time. Now, if you get to the beginning, get through the beginning of this kind of little quest line and, you know, it's just really not for you, then you, you've kind of learned something at that point. But you, if you go on and you go into the larger world, you've, you've had a little bit of practice and you've kind of uh, geared yourself up mentally and literally in the game uh, to, to kind of be better uh, suited to go do that. So I, I th- actually think that that's a really smart thing that they did. Now, obviously, with talk of aesthetics, it's going to vary depending on which version you've played. The resolution gets bumped up, uh, basically, depending on how <laughs> recently uh, the version that you're playing was released. So I was playing to, uh, early 2000s uh, Game Boy Advance version. So it looks like uh, it looks more like a 16-bit game. So they've they've kind of upped the graphics. So it looks more like one of the Super Nintendo Final Fantasies, mm-hmm. which makes perfect sense. Uh, you know, pretty high quality art, very little animation throughout the game. Uh, that that hasn't really been bolstered, although they the characters, I don't know if it was in the in the Famicom original, but um, depending on what sword you're holding, they there are different graphics. Did it go that deep? Did you notice, Leah, on looking at the Famicom version? Maybe you didn't see enough. I weapon don't actually changing. recall. Yeah, no, sure. Uh, so. Uh, there's some yeah some nice 16-bit backdrops. Uh, the world map is incredibly simplistic with its uh, uh, it's all built built out of blocks basically. But uh, you know they've they've made some efforts to make it look attractive. So um, yeah, there's some nice there's some nice stuff to enjoy here. I played it on a GBA Micro, which is a very small screen. Amazing little reminded me how wonderful that console is um but also has the uh revert the effect of when you go back to playing on a on a full-size screen everything looks amazing and massive uh, especially to these tired old eyes of mine but um yeah it's you know it's uh i think the nes uh famicom version obviously um looks more of of 1987 or 1990 times and the versions that we play uh look a bit more yeah, just a bit more colorful and a bit more high, high res and detailed and stuff um nothing nothing blew me away but uh, but it certainly wasn't unpleasant on the eyes i would say that out of the versions that i've seen on youtube i think your the game boy advance version um 
I think it looks the most attractive um, mm-hmm. in terms of art style. I think the PSP version, so they've they kind of redrawn the assets, so they yeah. they don't smooth, look smooth, pixely. Smooth them up, yes, yeah. they smoothed them up, and it's kind of it's weird because it's like there's higher fidelity, but there's less personality. It looks more clinical, yeah. um, and I think the kind of 16-bit kind of era style that the Game Boy Advance yeah. version has is just a bit more charming and a bit more... Uh, it just has a bit more personality. It'd be nice if they'd kept the option in uh, in all subsequent versions to have the original graphics on, as we see with a lot of re-releases. But anyway, uh, how did the Windows Phone version look, John? Enough to spend many, many hours playing it, clearly. Yeah, I thought it looked really good. Now, I know that... Um... There are a lot of, well, probably not a lot, but there were a reasonable number of different Windows phones, and I think they had things like you get with the other phone versions of this game can only run on a certain operating system with a certain amount of RAM in it. And, I mean, one of the um, one of the things I specified when I got the Windows phone was uh, part of the reasons I wanted it was because at the time there was a model called the HTC Titan, which I think oh, yeah. was the biggest smartphone available in late 2011 like early the 2012 display, yeah? yeah yeah it was it was like a 4.7 inch screen or something which mm. i think is probably smaller now than your um samsung's and uh, new iphones and things like that but it was it was very big at the time compared to some of the others um that i'd seen yeah. it was certainly a lot bigger than the whatever iphone model they were on back then mm. and it had some sort of super something or other screen that i i looked at them in the shop and thought man i want that one it was 500 pounds but i want that one i melter yeah uh so on that it looked really really nice and the touch touch controls on the screen i mean it's never the most amazing thing but they do a reasonable um is a reasonable way of putting a little touchpad on the screen for movement and uh then a couple of buttons and i'm actually playing uh Final Fantasy 2 now on my mm-hmm. current phone which is now an Android a Samsung and uh yeah it's 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 absolutely fine it's the almost identical style yeah 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 that makes sense uh, and so Leah your version did it look pleasant to you again with with the context that within which you were playing it yeah i mean the uh, the PS1 version i think is probably uh, somewhere between the PSP version and the uh and the uh, original yeah, yeah it mm. it's not um it's not completely smoothed out or um it, modernized but it um it's a little bit uh cleaned up for lack of a better mm-hmm. word uh yeah. and uh yeah it they do add a few um cutscenes and um a little bit of um just animation in between things uh and i it you know it's it's modernized and it's fine but it's it's nothing particularly special to me um yeah i i I did not have a problem with it though sure it maintains its uh, art style throughout, though, unlike certain later instalments in, <laughs> in the Final Fantasy series. True. Uh, jumping ahead a year there. Uh, and musically, so um, obviously uh, Uematsu making his Final Fantasy debut here, like the rest of the team. Uh, there's some familiar tunes, or at least one familiar tune on the title screen, uh, which is a lovely piece, I think. Pretty much everyone has some kind of, everyone who's ever enjoyed a Final Fantasy will have some sort of love for that piece or nostalgia for it. Uh, again, depending on which version you've played you'll have a, a different 
arranged version. Uh, obviously, if you go back to the original, you'll have um, familiar NES Famicom sounding uh, beeps. Uh, as we bring it forward, uh, the soundtrack becomes more 16-bit. And then I think, I, I'm not sure, does the PSP or PS1 versions, they have something like an arranged soundtrack? They sound slightly more uh, MIDI synth kind of thing? Or, or do they, are they more closely resembling like a 16-bit soundtrack as the graphics are? Uh, in my head, it sounded like a 16-bit. And yeah. when I was listening to the soundtrack on YouTube earlier, it mm. sounded uh, it sounded almost identical to yeah to a 16-bit style. Yeah. That's that's what I remember. So I don't think they've changed it up for the PSP version. Yeah. So uh, from my perspective on the GBA Micro, which is I think a great way to play these games, um, is that there's issues with the sound. Whether you have it, if you have it through the speaker, it's very it's very tinny. If you have it through headphones, it's very hissy. Uh, it's a it's a weakness of the machine. But I could hear th- through that, despite that. And I do have another way of playing GBA games, which is on the uh, the thing that slots under my GameCube, the Game Boy Player. Um, there are some really nice tunes in there, but as you'd expect, there's quite a lot of music in the sense of and quite a lot of different melodies, but none of it's very long. The loops are quite short, so uh, I did end up playing chunks of this game with the sound off, I have to say, uh, and doing other things. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some nice music in there, and I made sure to listen to every tune as it was introduced um but i didn't necessarily if i was on a particularly long stretch of of world map and combat in especially the combat uh areas where you were getting uh, sprung with uh, random battles i suppose that's another curio of jrpgs up until relatively recently that uh, we should mention for the, for the mm-hmm. uninitiated is that when you're walking on the world map uh, you will just ha- and indeed in dungeons you will have fights just start as the screen changes uh, and that will be the implication is that monsters have kind of leapt out of the 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 darkness to to assault you basically or occasionally you've surprised them um which is a strategic wrinkle uh, but yes uh, musically uh, pleasant but repetitive was my my takeaway mm. Anyone yeah, else? I, I agree with that. I, I, I like the music in this game a lot, but you will hear the same pieces pretty much all the time. Yeah, the, the entire soundtrack, um, it's not very long. It's only about 45 minutes. So, okay, for yeah. A- for a 30 hour game or more yeah that's yeah yeah that's gonna you're gonna feel that uh however blue all day uh, who we heard from earlier and we're gonna hear from again as well says thank god the journey includes some of the best music of the era and in my opinion any era of gaming the prelude main theme overworld theme and matoya's cave are all such engrossing themes it's no wonder the series came back to some of them over time i never would have imagined that i'd be enjoying these themes played by orchestras as an adult how lucky we are which is a very nice sentiment so yeah, we've kind of already touched upon this with the gear gating, uh, but what more is there to be said about exploration in the game world? As I say, I think signposting is an issue. You can get some hints from a, a dancing lady in the square of the first town, but she's not that forthcoming. <laughs> There's very little uh, sort of script in this game, so you'll find a lot of characters uh, saying the same thing over and over again. Another trope of JRPGs is you exhaust uh, the the dialogue uh, options of of characters within one button press and then you forget you've spoken to them because they all look the same well, they don't literally all look the same they all look familiar and similar uh, and so there's yeah you I I found it easy to not know where I was going although the GBA version and I guess other subsequent versions uh, has a a map with lots of highlights on I don't know if the Famicom version had this where you can 
simply select the name of the place that, you, that you've already been to and it will highlight it on the map so you can at least see where you're trying to get to. Certainly getting lost was a, a big deal and it's it comes back to the idea of you do a little bit of walking around a small area then they give you a, a small boat or canoe I think so you can go up some rivers and you see things as you're going it's like oh there's that widens out over there and there's an island in the middle of that bit of water that I can't get to I've got to remember to come back to that when I find something that can travel on it Mm -hmm. but then you don't find that for another five hours and you've forgotten by that point and the map kind of looks quite similar again this is the same oh this is the uh, Metroid 1 was 86 as well and and I think Metroid 1 doesn't have the same level of uh, gear gating and Metroid veneering that we know from later installments in that series so again this was i think this was sort of um uh carving a niche in some ways although it does actually remind me in in some ways of uh, some of the sort of uh, arcade adventures of the 8-bit computers that we were playing over in in europe at the time i think the world design like the world map is quite mm. interesting and and i like the kind of you know the layout of the cities and there's some interesting geography there. I just think, and I'm slightly skipping ahead though, but I'm not. Uh, it's I, okay. I won't go into detail. But like, I think random battles kind of mm. kill exploration for me. Um, whereas, you know, with Zelda, I was. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep bringing up Zelda, but it's a, I, it's an interesting point of comparison for me. Whereas mm. with Zelda, I, I felt compelled to kind of look at every nook and cranny and and kind of explore that big open play space it's much smaller than this world but still like it's a big place and i and, and i wanted to look in in and into all the secrets and stuff like that whereas of here like i'd start like thinking yes i'm gonna go find the secret and stuff like that and then random battle five would kick in off after i'd left the town and i'd be yeah. like you know what i'm just gonna go to the next objective the main objective and i consult my walkthrough and find the quickest journey there because I just don't want to have to sit through all of those battles like if this was Zelda I would have cleared the cleared the screen and I would have been free to kind of wander you know my merry way and you know do whatever whereas if here it felt like and it felt like the frequency of random battles in this game was more severe than kind of later entries in the series or maybe I yeah maybe I compared to the original but still high yeah yeah and yeah it just it killed any enthusiasm i had for kind of embracing the 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 world and kind of exploring and finding all the secrets and it just made me not want to do any of the optional stuff on one hand i i I have a tough time with this because you're not wrong but i know why and you can see why they're doing that because if you are engaging in a lot of random battles when you are out on the world map then in theory it should lead to less time that you have to spend running around in little circles just to level up Uh, but in practice it doesn't necessarily work that way and it can feel kind of like a chore so I'm I'm really torn on that um, because I definitely see where why why that's a problem but your alternatives are not a whole lot better which doesn't mean that it's it gets a pass because the alternative should be better but uh, it i don't know it's i have complicated feelings about this particular well, issue it's, we're going to be discussing this possibly something like 15 times over the next three yeah. years or whatever I'll so see if, because I'll see I, if i can get my thoughts under control sometime between now and then well no but hopefully <laughs> what i mean is hopefully you know we'll all still be into it we'll still sure. have the, the will and want to do it but i think 
um, starting with this one, we need to actually think about the main gameplay loop of Final Fantasy because it up until well, arguably... but that changes. It's not always the same gameplay loop, it, and that this is getting way ahead of ourselves. But um, yeah, it's, it, it's I think that it improves 10, though, and it, it is very rough here. Yeah, yeah, it gets worse so, in two spoilers. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so I gather. Um, but the fundamental uh, progress. Uh, the the sort of cliche of it is that you get to a new town, there's a load of gear there and swords and armor that you mm. want because it makes you stronger and better and you can't afford it because the prices are more than money than you'll have got up to that point. So you go back out into a nearby area and you wander around until you meet monsters and you kill them. And eventually you can afford the stuff and then you go back where you were and it's much easier and you can move on and so on and so forth that that's like that's it that's about as reductive as we can be about it yeah and i think maybe one of the the things that some people don't enjoy about these games as a whole and, and i i have an issue with it here and I, i'm i realize there will be subtleties and changes to this it will develop over time is that i want to be engaged by the the strategy of the combat so i, I want there to be you know enemies that are, some enemies are weak to some things and some you know, enemies uh, have particular attacks and all that's here from day one, from Final Fantasy one. There are things are weaker. Some some elements are weaker to other elements and so on and so forth. But the problem is you can you can ultimately either over level yourself to the point like I did, whereas I was way over leveled by the end of the game. So I got to the final boss. I'm sort of jumping ahead here, but it's relevant. Uh, and I didn't really have all the equipment and spells that I kind of needed to have the most satisfying fight where I thought where I'd thought about it the most strategically and thought, right, if I use this spell, that will nullify that. And if I wear these things, that will nullify that. That's the kind of that's where the, the puzzle and the strategy of Final Fantasy is. But you can just keep grinding until you're so strong that even their most powerful attacks aren't going to kill you and you can just keep healing and stay alive until eventually you chip away and kill anything so that's kind of my i guess that's that's my challenge to to the the final fantasy uh lovers is is kind of where the where the sweet spot is and i've tried playing these games a lot and this is the first time i've finished one and i think part of the reason why is i've never made my peace with that core gameplay loop like i find it compelling on a level but equally i feel that it's a bit like it feels like it's easily broken. The the aspect that um, hasn't aged well for me, and I think I'm going to find this with even the entries that I love, is the random battles in the kind of dungeons and the open world. More modern JRPGs have kind of abandoned that and have gone for you know enemy. You can see the enemies on yeah. the on the map screen and you can uh, engage with them and uh, or try and avoid them or etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But there's just that that seeing them there and seeing the threat ahead of you. Yeah. It's it's a small thing and ultimately doing the same thing. It's the same turn based combat etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But just knowing the quantity of the threat ahead of you and knowing exactly how much combat you're going to be engaging with does so much for my willingness to kind of persevere and kind of push forward and we should Where say it, that games sorry that some jrpgs mm -hmm. were starting to put them on the map in the 90s like final yeah, fantasy was notorious 
if, yeah, Final Fantasy was notoriously stubborn about this right up until uh, the early two thousands, and and it became yeah. it became a bit of a rod for its own back. I think uh, where it was one of those things that they didn't want to change because the fans expected it, but then a lot of players were found it completely anachronistic and and were sick of it. Yeah, and 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 also I I, I do like turn based combat, but. I think there needs to be kind of an emphasis on something else rather than um, I have a bigger number than you. Um, like I, I, w- one of the reasons why I like the Persona series is that there's a heavy emphasis on enemy weaknesses and you, your weaknesses as a player so that when you're up against certain uh, powerful enemies, it actually doesn't matter how leveled up you are and how good your gear is. If you're not exploiting those weaknesses and if, and if you're not defending against your own weaknesses, it's very easy, even with you know a leveled up characters and leveled up weapons, to get creamed, to get completely defeated. Mm. Whereas with this, because it is just a numbers game, it takes away that kind of investment in the combat where you're like, well, I can't defeat this guy now, so I'll just go outside and grind some wags or what have you until I am more powerful, and then then it will be a breeze and. Yeah, it just it, you you lose that investment. I I realize we've just kind of gone into the combat conversation from the exploration, but I do think That's they're right. linked. It's like by design, I think yeah. no, I think they 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 impact each the, you know the enjoyment of the other is impacted by each other. Yeah. And there's a few points um I want to make about this situation. Uh the first being I think there's something very dispiriting about the flip side of what you're saying where you spend 20 minutes grinding to get enough money to buy an item in a shop and then move on and the dungeon that you come to two minutes later you go into it fight two enemies and then there's a chest that has that item in it yeah and you just think oh why was i i just spent the time doing that i could have run to this chest i could have run away from the battles to get this item yes. and that's it's in some respects puts me off and playing final fantasy 2 at the moment i'm finding that over <laughs> and over and over and it is very don't um, waste your money is a good tip for yeah, that game i guess basically right. but then yeah. you finish the game and you've got maxed out money you think well i, I do the same thing with all the potions and stuff yeah. i never yeah. use any of the damn things i think it's everyone ridiculous. does the same thing don't they it's, like, how many phoenix downs can you save up yeah. oh 999 okay that's, fine i'll have that's that kind of how i <laughs> how I made the game something that didn't feel like it was as grindy to me. Uh, And in effect, yes, I'm doing the exact same thing, but Mm -hmm. I work a lot better. Where I start to get frustrated with games like this is when I am literally running around in circles to get into fights and there's no real aim other than I need to be at this level. I for me i i don't mind you know Mm. going out and fighting monsters right outside the town if my goal is well i'm gonna get to this sword or this particular piece of armor uh and the fact that i might find Mm. another one in in a chest in the dungeon is kind of okay to me because i also got the added benefit while i was running around uh, as you know now i'm also getting experience so i can get higher levels so i can you know be better as a character without having to only have that be my goal it's it's a weird it's a weird thing that uh that i <laughs> that i find to be a decent motivation in cases like this i just i need something to be working towards in order for it to not feel just repetitive and boring to me 
Yeah, and I, it sort of surprises me still how like I I I went through phases with playing this game. I played played uh, twenty nine hours mm-hmm. uh, odd in the end to to beat Final Fantasy one, and uh, that's more than the minimum because I did more than the the minimum. But I obviously like compared to John, it was about half or or something. Um, but uh, I, there were points where I just didn't really even want to put the game on I just wanted to play something else because I knew kind of I was going to get you know sucked into grinding and then I was going to get lost and then I was going to do the same and really again to be reductive it doesn't really change all that does change is the numbers go up and you go to new places now you know the scenery changes and you're making progress you know that you're making progress the crystals are lighting up on your on your uh, inventory screen or whatever Um, but actually leveling up doesn't change anything like it doesn't change the gameplay it's not like a, a a modern game in the sense that you get you know kind of fancy new moves or whatever you can as i say you can see the the, the different uh art the different sprites on the swords that you've got or the or the fists but actually all that really changes meaningfully uh okay you do all get uh actual change of costumes if you upgrade your jobs later on but generally, every time you buy a piece of armor, it makes absolutely it only it, it's only different in text when you go into a menu. Um, uh, and actually, you know, that's that's true of a lot of aspects of this game uh, to a point. But what surprised me was that actually that does that that loop did still snag me in at times. So even though I'm thinking when I'm not playing it, I'm thinking Ugh. when I start to play it, I'm actually like got to get that next sword, you know, got to get the, the 30,000 gil ready to buy that nice set of gloves they've got in that shop and um even though you know you're kind of you are dealing with this sort of what feels like in 2017 bare bones infrastructure uh that core progress loop um you know still has has the power to get its hooks in obviously that works on on you john to the point that you continued we're not specifically going to talk about kind of post game end game stuff here but obviously it was you know you're you're talking about um filling out your bestry for instance so that was obviously like that was a motivator to you to just to you know like all these pointless digital trinkets we have it was another it was another checkbox basically wasn't it yeah, it's like I've spent money on this. I'm going to see it. <laughs> I, yeah. I want to see the content that I've paid for. The, the, the palette swap sprites. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, I mean, speaking of the customization, though, one thing that we haven't really talked about is the biggest mm-hmm. customization option you get in this game is picking your party at the beginning. And oh, I yeah. imagine even the four of us probably all had four different parties. That's a very good point and something I completely glossed over. So, yes, uh, you get to name your characters in this one, uh, not rename they are they come with no names is that right or do they come with random default names i forget now uh but i gave mine names and i selected like uh you know regular warrior dude um monk the monk <laughs> punchy dude <laughs> and uh rogue rogue, the, um, rogue type belt? character or is the mm-hmm. black belt the upgraded version yeah they changed some of the names in the versions as well so um and yeah you know a healing mage and a and a and a black magic kind of character the classic uh final fantasy design for those characters uh yeah what about you guys uh i think i probably had might actually be the same as you i know i had the regular fighter i had i think it was the thief and then i had <laughs> one of each of the black and white majors mm-hmm. yeah mine was uh same as uh, as as uh leon's except for i i 
have well I've, I've played with both the monk and the thief i tend to go with a thief. thief i like to be able to steal stuff that's what i had i had the thief but i never really ended up using the thiefery abilities and it ended up uh yeah because later on you can turn him into something else so, the, so he what turns the options, into a ninja that he he becomes a ninja that's right which is a lot of fun um so the red mage is the one is one that we didn't use between us, Josh. Unless you had a red mage. No, uh, I pretty much had the same uh, party so as you. Guys. We're all highly unimaginative. <laughs> and nobody cared about the monk either. No, I th- yeah. See, I thought based on my Final Fantasy tactics, I thought monks became ninjas. But maybe they're doing that, or maybe I'm remembering it wrong. Anyway, uh, yeah, but that's true actually. And obviously, because the characters are these uh, kind of fairly much voiceless archetypes uh it gives you that that's the irony they they have less going on less story less to say less arc but actually you you get to pick the names and the and the um classes of your characters which um it drops out the series after a while doesn't it now i'm going to find out when because i haven't played all the games yet but i think they change back and forwards don't they uh, well, kind of. After after Final Fantasy One, um, your characters have defaults, sort of. But for right. most yeah. of them, I think right up until I want to say right up until ten, you can you can change their names. That's but, right. I but remember they'll that. still have. You know, I had some very rude things that Titus got named in, <laughs> in Final Fantasy Ten. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, you you can change most of their names, but it gets a little tougher once you start getting into where the characters are fully voice acted. So I think that probably has something to do with why they dropped off that particular bit of uh, design. But um, yeah, no, these characters are complete blank slates. Uh, They they Mm. really don't have anything going on other than what you project onto them uh and and that does change even as as early as two you you get to you start getting some character writing i suppose um for for the the party members but you it, it does vary in how much um how much customization you can still do uh, up until about four yeah mm, sure it's, it's certainly a different system when as far as i'm aware in this one you can pick any selection of people that you mm. want um one of the strategies i saw for taking down one of the really high-end bosses was have a party of four red mages right which seems crazy but i don't know it must work in some respects yeah i'd worry about doing that not having a balanced party from from the off but i'm sure no doubt there are people out there who've tried everything in this 30 year old game and and every possibility yeah there Um, are there are uh festivals and um people do arrange kind of events where Mm -hmm. uh you either use a randomizer to have your party chosen for you or you can also um i I think a pretty popular one is the uh the four white mage challenge where you're supposed to be able to beat the game with four white mages uh, which sounds real rough but apparently it's possible um so yeah Yeah. people people will make their own challenges with pretty much any game but it's very popular on this one yeah that makes sense uh, Ashman86 from the Kano Rinse Forum says, Somewhere between the release of Final Fantasy XII and Final Fantasy XIII, I set out on a personal quest to collect and play all of the mainline Final Fantasy games. I had already finished and adored Final Fantasy VII-XII, and I consider myself a dedicated fan of the series despite my relatively late introduction to it. 
Eventually, I also picked up a DS, which afforded me access to the Game Boy Advance's library, and it was by this route that I finally got my hands on both Final Fantasies 1 and 2. It was obvious from the start that the game lacked the depth I had come to expect from the series in terms of both game mechanics and narrative, but I'm not sure I expected anything more or less than that. It was an 8-bit era JRPG and the very first chapter of a now legendary franchise. I found the fundamental gameplay loop to be addictive fun and I enjoyed handcrafting my very own party from the get-go. I was surprised by how D&D the whole thing felt and while I was familiar with the game's jobs or classes because of the later entries in the series, I balanced my party in the same way I might an Infinity Engine game or a dungeon crawler. In many ways I suppose that's precisely what FF1 was. In classic 8-bit game fashion, however, I eventually hit a point in the game, a little more than halfway through, when I was just completely at a loss as to where or to how to progress in its story. The dancer in one of the town's squares stopped giving me helpful hints, and I wandered aimlessly for a bit in my airship before losing motivation completely. I set the game aside, and while I always intended to return to it, I suppose I might do so one day still... I believed I had seen and done enough of it to gain an appreciation for the series' roots. I'm sure you did, uh, Ashman86, uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's walkthrough time for me on the on the many occasions <laughs> where I just didn't know where to go next. Um, so I think we have talked for the most part about uh, characters and classes and combat. Is there anything else uh, obvious about that whole side of the game that? That we should remember um one of the things i was just thinking about and i don't know if there's any mileage in this i think it's been kind of gone over on in other places um but actually the fact that we call this a role-playing game i suppose this ties back into what we were saying about story and and the, where the character progression is is more based on numbers but d- did anyone i don't know is is there any merit to this the a game like this being called a role-playing game are you playing a role or are, is it a kind of strategy combat adventure i don't know not that we're going to rename the genre now i think if the the problem is like the the combat and and all of that stuff is very close to D and D, but it's yes. it's D and D if you stripped away everything the talking. else. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it, it's just the kind of waiting your turn, rolling the dice, seeing if the numbers are the numbers you want them to be, without the kind of like a lot, you know, letting the players kind of use their imagination, letting them you know have some yeah. agency on the story. So what what this you know Final Fantasy ends up being is a D&D game with the worst DM possible. <laughs> One that will never ever let you deviate from his well-constructed story that right. he's created. Blue All Day continues. The battle system was primitive, especially the lack of auto-target when a character follows up to attack an enemy that has already been defeated. Uh, this is in the original version, of course. They will attack a blank space, leaving that turn completely wasted. In such a difficult game, each turn is invaluable. However, this quirk that would be inexcusable in a modern game had a fun effect when I played it. It kept my mind engaged. I'd figured out estimations of how many hits from each character it would take to defeat an enemy. For instance, one attack from a fighter plus one attack from a thief may work, or a spell from a black mage, or two thief attacks plus one attack from both mages. That's what I remember most about the battle system, the game within the game, strategizing how best to keep my party alive. 
Final Fantasy requires you to grind too much for both experience and money. I remember finding a hallway where literally every step holds an encounter of giants. Sounds crazy, but I must have walked the entire length of the hallway ten times just to get enough gold to purchase the next level of spells for my wizards and ensure I had enough left for over for 99 potions every time I go into a new dungeon. The difficulty spikes seem unfair, but as they say, it's about the journey. Yeah, uh, I remember that that hallway, uh, and it also made me realise that. Uh, so it's not, you know, it's not random encounters. Uh, you can tell. So when you when you stand, <laughs> one of the other curios about the dungeons is that there are only doors up and down into rooms because of the display. So because uh, obviously it's sort it's sort of top down, but it's slightly uh, isometric angled. Um, so uh, you stand in front of a chest and there's always uh, an encounter there. So as if you've stepped on a kind of, you know, a dungeon pressure plate or whatever, kind of you can justify it in that way. But, yeah, there's this one corridor that where it's just fight, 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 fight over and over again. Um, and it makes you realise you can stand completely still and you won't get attacked ever, uh, which is uh, quite nice because I don't think I ever worked that out when I was playing Final Fantasy VII 20 years ago. I was just uh, and maybe it works differently then. I'm not sure. I can't remember. Did you did you have to be moving to get into a fight in that game? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So they kept that for a long time. Um, but yeah, just lots of weirdnesses and and things which having played little bits of lots of other Final Fantasies, including most of seven. Um, it all kind of made sense to me. But again, I am wary of us doing the thing of just because we've all played a number of JRPGs, we're kind of just like inured to lots of weirdness that these games inevitably have. Um, but yeah, playing Final Fantasy 1 at this point just made me realise kind of how closely they did stick to lots of elements of this formula for, well... 15 years maybe up until 10 is that is that where it they really started to I, I think I would argue that you can see some elements of the original Final Fantasy in all of them really uh, yeah. I mean right right up to and including 15 um, it it's we might come back to this now or play it for the first time now and almost see it as just too stereotypical but that's because this is where the stereotypes come from in a lot of cases not definitely not in all of them but yeah. it's 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 up there <laughs> yeah i was wondering actually so i think some of the translations have been updated for later versions oh, based yes. on some of the tropes or or you know elements that were now normal but were was, was it ether in the, in the original release was it always uh, you know, Phoenix Down and things like that. Was that were those there right from the very beginning? I believe that know? some of them were, but then there are also things like we uh, when we were doing the Zelda shows. I know it was discussed that some things were uh, kind of changed early on because of uh, you can't really have Bibles at that time. You can't really have um, mm. crosses or you know that it, that kind of thing yeah. um, where things were altered. And I think that some of some things. I, I don't know the exact uh, changes that they made, but I, I know that the holy spell is different. Um, I don't recall what exactly it becomes or what it was. Yeah, in, I think there's the a few of those. Release. But yeah, it's it's mm. that sort of thing. Some of the translations uh, and some of the localization has definitely been changed in between versions. Blue Weasel Breath from the forum says, I decided to play the original Final Fantasy maybe a year or so after Final Fantasy VII came out. I knew the series didn't follow a narrative sequence, but I figured I should play this NES classic first if I was going to get the full enjoyment out of Final Fantasy VII. 
I'd only played a couple of JRPGs at that time, Earthbound and Super Mario RPG. Maybe some of Chrono Trigger. I'd also played some early first-person RPGs on PC, one called and one called Dungeon Magic on the NES. I also had some light D&D-style board games like Heroes Quest, so I was somewhat familiar with the idiom going in. I played Final Fantasy 1 on the Nesticle emulator that was so popular at the time. I was imme- it was immediately apparent I was playing an old game as the overworld graphics and grid-based mechanics looked a bit dated. However, I really liked the main character and enemy sprites, which were both beautiful, even though they used two completely different visual styles. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I started off the game completely confused, which is always a great sign. Having not read the manual, I didn't know what the different character classes were about. I knew the difference between a fighter and a mage, but red mage, black belt, oh boy. This vague sense of confusion lingered through my entire playthrough. The story is present, but somewhat minimal and generic, and I was never exactly sure where I should go next. Do I stay on the prescribed path or explore? If I go exploring, will I find side quests and special items, or will I end up in an area I'm not meant to go yet? Later, more playable games in this genre implemented methods of communicating this better to the player, but this game, with its frequent random invisible encounters and open world, seemed to both encourage and discourage exploration at the same time. Chrono Trigger and Earthbound had innovations such as non-respawning enemies and automatic wins over low-level enemies respectively, and you could see the enemies on the screen before you battled them. I think random battles are just the pits. In the end, I enjoyed the game, but I had a walkthrough and the benefit of save states. It wasn't the first video game to use RPG elements like this, but since Final Fantasy was such an inspiration for so many later games, this seems like such a pure and quintessential form of the RPG. Go out, fight some enemies, go to a town, buy better versions of all your equipment, then go fight some more enemies. At the time it was released, it must have been sweet. I've never touched any of the remakes, although I've heard good things. In the end, Final Fantasy games end up being somewhat of a chore to get through. Even though I enjoy elements of them, I understand why others would love them, and I'm intrigued by them when I'm not playing. The endless random encounters and complex battle systems that fans love begin to challenge my stamina fairly early in the games. But if you're a fan of the series or the genre, you should try the original Final Fantasy games for a bit, or at least watch a playthrough to appreciate where the series and genre came from and dig the amazing sprite art. So you come to uh, the final dungeon, which is uh, is a fairly uh, large and sprawling affair. There's a boss rush um, and, and a final boss that is, uh, yeah, I would say is managed to wipe me even though I was massively overleveled because my strategy was wrong, which does was, you know, did serve to illustrate that there is some strategy to be had. Uh, I was basically I was not healing enough. I was being too aggressive and uh, and I needed to use more healing spells. And actually, if I hadn't gone out of my way to get the gill together, to get some of those higher level spells that you come across, um, I would have been in trouble, I think. Um, I don't know if it's then... you Can you still... Can you actually extricate yourself from the last dungeon if you end up in there horribly underleveled? Yes, but you have to do all of the fights over again if you yeah. like if you've gotten partway through the boss rush. Uh, it, you you eventually get spells that can warp you out of dungeons, uh, but yes. most of the time you can't get back in without doing the rest of it or mm. I mean, without repeating what you've already done. One of the items that I've seen in other Final Fantasies that I found throughout the game that uh, I didn't keep on me that I'm told I should have done are ribbons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you you sell them for like two <laughs> gil or something. And that's foolish. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> They're trying to keep you from selling them. <laughs> I, yeah, I realize that now. I just thought they were rubbish. Um, yeah. So so what do ribbons do, guys? <laughs> uh, ribbons make you immune to all status effects. 
So oh, yeah, yeah they're, they're actually very important, but that's, <laughs> that is something that they don't tell you. And I, for instance, would never have known that had I not played other Final Fantasy games yeah. beforehand, because that's I'd one forgotten. of the things that is a consistent piece of equipment that is generally very, very high end game and difficult to find and or very expensive. So right. So there's four dotted throughout that. the game. <laughs> yes. So, and, and yeah, I think I had them all at some point. Also protect rings, which protect, protect you from being wiped in one hit. Is that right? I think. I, I don't recall if that's exactly what those do, but it's they're important, yes. <laughs> yeah, and there's also some uh, extra uh, powerful spells, Null All and Null Death, which, mm-hmm. uh, which I didn't find, and Holy. Um, I did have Flare, which... Or is that Holy? No, Flare is the, the high-level black magic, and Holy is the very high-level white magic. Okay, yeah, so, so I They're I basically guess I, the same, just for different mages. Seems like I missed some of the high-level white magic stuff. Um, which could have been very useful. Um, but I'm guessing, uh, so it sounds like, uh, Leah, you you tracked all this stuff down when you played it? I did, um, but I will, of course, say that I uh, used walkthroughs to, to get to the, the higher mm. level stuff. Uh, I'm not shy about doing that in Final Fantasy games because I think that uh, yeah. a lot of it is kind of obscure. Um and, you know, again, that's that's something that I've mentioned before is uh, something that I don't generally hesitate to do in any kind of game. Uh, so it's it's just whether you want to I, whether you want to be uh, going around and, and searching out everything on your own or whether you want to find things and not have to do that. It's what kind of time you have. It's what you like to do. So uh, I don't think there's anything yeah. wrong with either way. I completely agree. I think, um, you know, we we've had conversations about save scumming mm-hmm. uh, which is not an, really an issue here or certainly on the gba version you can save yeah. absolutely a- anywhere uh and yeah i i sort of had this thought i was you know i was as i was playing it referring to a walkthrough quite a bit i was thinking you know is this is this the right way to do it again as usual we have time ish- time factors to you know consider about getting these games completed but i wonder that again was i missing out on certain level of satisfaction from figuring out where to be next uh, but actually i you know weighing it up i figured i was probably just missing out on hours of getting lost and random battles and getting frustrated uh, i feel like you can justify a walkthrough with a game like this in the sense that some of it's just you know it's like someone's told you where to go can can you not conceive that in this game world you you know you did buy a map or or met some <laughs> some old guy who said oh yeah you definitely need to to go there to do this thing so i yeah i don't know i personally get more satisfaction out of the execution of these kinds of things rather than just having to run around and find what to do that to me is more frustrating than it is rewarding so that's mm. that's kind of why i go for walkthroughs uh mm. if i'm having difficulty in any kind of that capacity uh before we get on to to john and and his post game stuff josh uh, how much uh, how much of the kind of regular game content did you uh, you know how 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 leveled were you going uh, going into the final areas and and how much of this uh, good gear had you kept hold of or, or were utilizing so i i was using a walkthrough that kind of specifically was aiming to give you like an efficient but kind of making sure you were powerful kind of play through so so you were barely playing the game at all josh yeah basically <laughs> um <laughs> but i needed it sorry um but yeah um 
so it, it ignored most of the kind of like you can go and get this if you want but honestly it's not going to help you long term so just skip it and and it kind of focused in on stuff like making sure you got the um the piece of material to make uh, to uh create a scalibur and stuff like that because that helps you in the final dungeon having oh, yeah. a, a really powerful sword making sure i had um full life which is a uh, white mage spell that uh, unlike the regular life which just uh, resurrects people with one HP. This resurrects them with full HP, which yes. is incredibly, incredibly useful in oh, that yeah. final fight. Yeah, weird, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I did end up having a lot of the kind of high-level spells and high-level equipment, but that was only because uh, I, yeah, I was using a walkthrough that was specifically targeting the more important high-level equipment. So I feel like hmm. I we may have learned some valuable lessons for the future of this series of games uh, early on in terms of what are good things to Don't seek out. Don't sell your ribbons. Don't sell your ribbons. <laughs> That's my Do... three-word review. Don't sell ribbons. <laughs> good. I like it. I'll remember that forever. <laughs> so, John, you uh, not only got to the end of the game, but so there's um, there's a little cut scene on certainly on the GBA version, I assume all subsequent versions, when you complete an area, there's also a little uh, like a, a dark kind of uh, ornate door that opens up somewhere else in the game. Is that is that the areas that you then go into to fight all these extra cool monsters that weren't in the original game? Yeah, that's right. It's um, it's something called the Soul of Chaos, and yes. it speaks to how little the story is particularly important. In that, I don't, I don't really understand what the Soul of Chaos is or what you're doing. But what they essentially are is, after you've beaten each of the four fiends, it opens up a I'd say a sort of a mega challenge dungeon yeah. that's roughly based around it. And they've all got, each of the four of them have got ridiculous numbers of uh, flaws in the dungeons. I think the shortest ones have got 10 with bosses at the fifth and 10th floor. And then one of them right. has 36 levels in it oh, with four goodness. bosses throughout. And they're, they're notable in that on one hand, it's interesting. The four of them, uh, each contain a number of bosses from Final Fantasies three, four, five, and six. Oh, cheeky! So okay. yeah, that's that's as somebody who's not actually played any of those games uh, and don't have the reference for it, I still thought it was quite strange when you're Fan going into this failure, dungeon. Though. And right. yeah, well, yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, obviously, what done miles after any of those games like best part of 10 years after even final fantasy 6 hmm. but it's quite quite weird to suddenly find yourself fighting a disembodied train car <laughs> yeah um, okay. so they were all redrawn for these uh these versions presumably as well uh or so you know somewhat yeah. they've all got the same art style as mm. the uh the rest of the game so yeah especially the the early early ones that was final fantasy 3 was still on the nes yeah did that one yeah yep, yep. yeah it was, it was nes yeah, so this explains why even though I played for 30 hours and uh, got up to level 59 or something, my bestiary was only 62% complete. Yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of extra stuff. And the dungeons also have even further down the line 
versions of the previous enemy. So you might have seen three types of crazy horses before, but then there's a fourth one in these dungeons as well. I see. So it, it gets worse. And if you want to do all of it, you have to go through them multiple times as well, which is even more annoying because they'll have so say for example the dungeon that has 36 floors in it there'll be a boss on floor 18 and then one on 36 and when you get to each one of those floors there's basically two gates you can go through and one is one boss and the other is the other so if you want to get everything you've got to go through it twice And wow. I can I can crazy. hear Josh thinking this sounds like something he yeah. really wants to do. Oh, you <laughs> yeah. wait until I get onto the labyrinth of time. Okay. I know what That's I'm doing worse. during my Christmas vacation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, again, um, th- this sounds so leading, and I, I really don't mean it in in any sort of disparaging way. But what was the hook here? Well, like, what apart from the bestiary? What what was the end game? What was the end goal? Just to say you you know is the Everest thing because it was there, or was there some? It's just think like so. once you started yeah. doing it, you just had to keep doing it. Yeah, I guess I wanted to see it, and for for the amount of frustration that it sounds like mm. it is, it's also quite cool at the same time because the dungeons mm. are they're different from the previous things in the game. There, a lot of them are uh, completely random floors. They'll have a numerous selection of things so it's like the you know the walls are shifting when you go in and oh, they've crikey. got maze patterns and uh there's lots of well i mean it, it sounds awful actually thinking about it but uh <laughs> sort of floors that hurt you the entire way through that are on fire and there's oh yeah, yeah, yeah sort of enemies every couple of steps and but there's there's also one of them has a floor in it that you get into and it's just a little village filled with vendors and they sell you crazy things oh Um, nice it's one of the strategies for beating all of the very very hardest bosses in the game is uh instead of using spells you can use items to cast spells instead yeah i noticed that i did try that once or twice and it means that any character can cast it so instead of having a white mage who's got the the very very highest level heal spell you find this staff that uses it and if you get two of those stars which i think there are two in the game mm. you can use that twice in each round of turns and it doesn't use up any mp oh. so you can do some quite cheeky things like there's an item called the white robes which casts a spell that i think it's called invisible error or something something like that mm. and it raises your party's evasiveness or i can't remember if it's the party or the character but there's one in the entire game unless you get into this village full of uh, vendors where you can buy another three so when you're then in the boss fight at the end that keeps casting a, a spell that does massive area of effect damage on all of your characters you can go through the first sort of 10 rounds 12 rounds of this fight you can just keep casting this spell until almost none of their attacks actually hit you goodness me so this was like half your playtime was the whole was this whole thing and 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 the yeah so you've got like procedurally generated just spelunky dungeons kind of thing yeah to an extent uh, and you've got uh yeah so lots of yeah, yeah, ridiculous bosses, and they're all way harder than the yeah, rest of the game say, as well. Yeah, I was going to say, to clear this, do you have to have everyone at 9-9 nine, nine maxed out everything kind of thing? Is this uh, is that where you're headed with this? I think, to some extent, I didn't ever get to max level. I think, because the way it works out is you unlock one of these each time you beat one of the, the four fiends, and the way that I went through the game... I moved on to one of the dungeons roughly as I went. So I had done all four of these by the time I actually Ooh. beat the final boss in the game. 
and the uh, the final boss is a is a cakewalk because at that point, even though I flipped through the bestiary earlier, just looking at the the stats and stuff on it, and you go through, and it's got the the four bosses, the four fiends, then it's got like the extra versions of them from the boss rush, yeah. and then the final boss, and they go up and they sort of go up incrementally from the first time you fight the lich, he's got twelve hundred HP, yeah. and that goes up and it goes up, and finally after all eight of them the second version of Tiamat that you fight has 5,000 XP mm. and then Chaos has 20,000. So it's a huge jump mm. at that point there from this boss rush into the final boss. But these um, these challenge dungeons, uh, there's two bosses in particular. I think they're from Final Fantasy V or VI. It's um, a robot thing called Omega and a big dragon called Shinryu. And they've got fifty or 60,000 HP. So they're massive sponges at this point. So I guess this is all like the uh, the stuff that people may be more familiar with from Seven. Famously, you're getting Knights of the Round, breeding your gold chocobo and, and all that stuff. Uh, this is, I suppose, the kind of retrofitted equivalent of that stuff. Yeah, I guess. I've heard lots of people talking about the fights against, is it Emerald and Ruby weapons in Seven? Yeah, that's right. Post-games. And the ridiculous things yeah. that you have to do to get them. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I suppose this is the cipher Late for Late game stuff. Yeah. And there are, yeah. there are, you will see coming back specifically multi-level dungeons that's a thing that i i don't know if it's in all of the final fantasy games after this point but i know that it's in a pretty large number of them um that you know these these optional side dungeons where you can uh you know if if you're looking to have an additional challenge they're not required in any way but you can go and you know spend I want to say the one in Final Fantasy X is a hundred floors. Um, like there, there's mm-hmm. some pretty significant side dungeons that uh, that you can get into if you're so inclined. Yeah, sure, and and uh, plenty of other RPGs, action RPGs, and JRPGs have these areas, uh, coliseums, arenas, challenge floors, chalice whatever, dungeons, yeah. chalice dungeons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I guess wait, there's more. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> what's so what's this other bit that I'm I don't think I'm even really uh, cognizant of. Okay, so there's also another challenge area called the Labyrinth of Time. Mm. And this one, I believe, was added in the PSP version. So it wasn't in Dawn of Souls oh, right. or the, okay. uh, the previous. So this is another challenge dungeon. And this is randomly generated with a boss at the end who changes. And you've got to go through it at least eight times to fill out oh. the uh, the best tree. <laughs> but basically, this one is a set of floors in this dungeon. They're all timed. They've all got essentially a puzzle. Some of them are battles. Some of them are weird things like moving objects around. I remember very distinctly one that was lots of little sprites of dragons moving around. And they all had slight differences to them. Like they'd have long ears or short ears or long horns or short horns or a long tail or short tail. And the little thing would say, you need to go and find four short tailed ones and three short eared ones. Uh, And... You, you, you did all this. Yeah, I did all this, <laughs> and that's why so you're on this, the show. I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is why I kept telling Tony about <laughs> yeah, it. It's yeah. like you need to talk about this. Yeah. So this can... labyrinth of time, it's at the very least you've got seven floors to get to the final boss, and each one you go into it. Now this is there's no saving while you're in there at all. You can save before you enter. Oh, good. Uh, but not at any other point. Oh, and this mm. is worth pointing out. I think you can only do this right before the final boss this takes place you enter the area in the 
I can't remember what the little area is called where you start the game mm. and then you go to it to find the um the uh, chaos at the end. Right. Um but you go into this thing and it starts with a, like a randomly generated floor with one of these weird little puzzles and it gives you a time limit that you've got to do it in and you can extend your time limit by giving up your abilities. So you can oh, say, I'm going to give right. up the ability to cast any white magic and it will like double the two minutes to four minutes to fulfill the puzzle. <laughs> and you've then got to do the puzzle and you can give up, uh, you can give up pretty much all of your, um, your main commands. You can give up fighting, you can give up defending, you can give up running away to extend it. Temporarily it was, or permanently? Uh, for that floor, just for, that for floor. The, the level oh, you're that's in. that's all right then. Oh yeah, yeah, so it's fine, you can do it. Um, <laughs> And then it's, so you say you've got eight minutes, you can't attack anything, and you've got this maze with random encounters as well. And if you get to the end of it, or I guess you run away from the enemies and whatnot, you get to the end in the eight minutes, you get, um, there's a little orb at the end, and they're either blue or red, depending on whether you've succeeded in the puzzle. And then after you've done, I think the quickest way you can do it is seven, uh, either blue or reds, depending on what they've got on. Uh, you then get to the the final floor is this boss called Cronodia, which is in its base form. It's it's a little bit like fighting Lavos from um, Chrono Trigger. It has all sorts of weird sort of time bending abilities uh, and things okay. like that. Yeah, and that's that's the kind of the base of uh, Cronodia. If you get um, all failures on your run through, so you get seven red orbs going through this dungeon, which takes about probably at least an hour to get through it without any saving or anything. Then get to the boss. The boss is a huge energy um, drain and massive HP pull, 40,000 HP or something for it. You fight this thing. If you beat it, it's like, okay, that puts just that in your best theory. But then depending on what combination of blue and red orbs you've come to, you then fight a different version of it and they are all adding on the abilities from the previous bosses you fought. So there are four <laughs> extra ones that are the base Cronodia, then with each of the four fiends from earlier. Then there are two that are <laughs> the base with two fiends. God. And then the third one has everything all mixed together with the final chaos boss as well. And it's got a massive HP people. And the only way that I could even vaguely find to do it was by getting all of these white... Um, robes and casting the spell that meant that you were mostly immune to any of their very bad attacks that would just wipe everybody but it was to the point where you could quite easily get hit with some sort of nuke attack that would completely wipe out all Mm. of your party and at this point you spent an hour getting through this dungeon and then 20 minutes fighting the boss and then you get wiped and how depressing is that john what (laughs) What, what, what were you even thinking of? I mean, like I always when when I when I hear or read about content like this in these games, I think who the hell plays this stuff? And uh, it turns out it's, it's somebody it's I me. know. Yeah, um, <laughs> is this something? Yeah, do you uh, like you say you play perhaps fewer games than than us crazies over here, but you play them perhaps more intensively and extensively. You actually cane and rinse things um, yeah. rather than the entire industry, which is what we're sort of trying to do. Um, is this normal? <laughs> I'd say this is fairly normal. I will put a lot of time into things. I mean, some of it is uh, just thinking, oh, I want to see the content here. Some of it is, mm. you know, I want to get um, 
you know, especially with a game that I enjoy, I want to get a lot of value out of it. You know, yeah. for big example is you know all of the Souls games that I've played right. at least three or four times through and yeah. done various new game pluses. And this is, I just want to see things. I want to see the different bosses. I want to try different tactics on things. Sure. Uh, and this just it sounds yeah. absolutely insane and it is to some extent i was looking at this earlier there's a, a game fact for mm. just for the labyrinth of time and it's mm. huge just mm. for the one one dungeon you did this all off your own were you doing this largely without uh consulting guides or oh anything? god no no i was i was <laughs> fully aware of what i was getting into i wasn't going to go into this uh, thing where i might give up my ability to fight only to find that the floor i was in was a huge uh, huge melee battle. I see. Wow. So I was I was quite aware, but you okay. also get to this point where once you've done it a few times, I think there's 30 different flaws it can give you. So I'd started by the time I'd gone through eight times, I'd started to see quite a few of them over and over. And and let me guess, as soon as you finished cleared the final one, you just deleted it off your phone. <laughs> uh, well, I, I no longer have that phone. <laughs> that so you phone haven't even decided got that best to die anymore. No, it's gone. Oh man. I know. Wow. No, I mean, I you know, I always uh, I'm sort of you know, gently mocking, but I actually really admire that sort of level of uh, dedication. There are certain games that I've played to this you know similar levels, and and there is you 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 know form this certain relationship with these games that you you have with with no other, um, and even if there is an element of uh, Stockholm syndrome about it at times, especially <laughs> with a game like this, I think there is still you know you go through something uh to to get to that point um that is on, on some level as as much as everything we do is pointless there's some sort of level of self betterment there um, absolutely yeah. there's a personal pride to it for sure yeah. i've done this thing no well fair play man um yeah so that's all there in in the versions post uh sort of mid 2000s uh i'm com- yeah quite glad i haven't got access to that uh, <laughs> i suppose i could buy it how much, could did you pay? Of chaos. how much did you pay for your windows phone version was it like a tenner or something i know they i think they, it was less than that. Be, i think they, it was only about four quid okay i know square tend to charge quite you know decent money for their their ip because it's uh it's quite but I, th- I think you can get it on you can get all the final fantasies on steam now pretty much can't you or lots mm-hmm. of them yeah, you can. so that's all yeah, there. they're all on i think at least one through six are all on uh android so presumably also on ios and they're mm. i think they start off the first two or three or five or six pounds and then after that they're i think 12 for the Four, five, six, which is so not unreasonable not when you think about the hours of, hours of play, yeah. But it's that whole. But iPhone games are fifty nine p or whatever, which they're not <laughs> anymore. But uh, yeah. Uh, so there's a couple of Easter eggs in the game. Uh, one is there's a tombstone which originally said "Here lies Erdrick" in reference to the original Dragon Quest or Dragon Warrior, as it was in the US. Because uh, Quest, I guess, made it sound too RPG-ish, so they called it Dragon <laughs> Warrior, because uh, it sounded more fighty. Uh, this is changed in later versions to Here Lies Link, which is a bit cheeky. Uh, there's also an Easter egg which I found out about today. If you get on the airship, yes, this is a that's another Final Fantasy staple that was there from Game 1. Uh, you go from walking to boats, to bigger boats, to airships. If you press A and B on the NES pad... 55 times, you get taken to a hidden puzzle game, uh, which is a tile, some kind of number tile swapping game. Uh, I've just watched a bit of it on YouTube. Um, You get 100 gil for winning, uh, which is less than most fights. So Yeah, it's not that much. But, I mean, it's a secret. I think I did this. Of course you did. 
Yeah, it wasn't quite like that. I'm pretty sure it was on the pirate ship. But it's a it's one of those horrible little sliding tile puzzles. Yeah, I hate those. Um, I never yeah. actually found this, so this was actually a new thing to me. Yeah. yeah, I had to I had to hold the screen with one finger and tap it some number of times with the other, and then it takes you to this horrible little sliding tile puzzle, and it's yeah, it's crap. <laughs> actually, yeah, it does look like it's on a on the. I think maybe that text is wrong. I think maybe you're right. It's on the uh, on the boat. Anyway, uh, we have some three word reviews from people who probably didn't do everything that John did. But maybe they did. Who knows? Uh, follow Somebody us. had to do it, right? Somebody had to do it. Well, we're glad you did. Uh, at Kane and Rince on Twitter. Chris Worth says, beautifully laborious slog. Andrew Brown says, console JRPGs crystallised. Eric Mickle says, basic yet fantastic. Carter Rayner says, monks are cool. No More Spiros says, lacking in chocobos. Tom Hewlett says... T. Sellies B. Hussup. Yeah, so this refers to uh, the brooms in Matoya's cave in the original game uh, say that. It's obviously a bit of backwards writing, which says push B, select. It's sort of, I I thought it was worth mentioning uh, as well, just because, uh, as we heard from our correspondent earlier, actually lots of the information about this game was in the manual because it was 1987 or 1990. And so as much as we can consult game facts, uh, you couldn't do that then. So read the manual and figure it out for yourself, including uh, such basic functions as how to access the map. yeah, uh, and in different versions of the game, they say different things because of the control changes. So in Origins, they say uh, Elkrig Dana Trats, start and circle. And in Dawn of Souls, they say Tseles Notab B. Yeah, uh, and and so on and so forth. Ryan Scully says different colored gems. Shannon Jade says knock Garland down. Dan Ragnar says, not so final. Will Cross says, welcome to Corneria. So that's a reference to something. It's a sort of meme that I wasn't really that familiar with, but it's to do, it's it's a comment on the fact that uh, JRPG uh, NPCs have one line of dialogue. Um, so you say stuff to them and they just say, welcome to Corneria or Cornelia. Uh, it's the whole LR uh, transposition thing so mm. it's uh, different versions it's called a different thing um, and it's nothing to do with the one from Star Fox <laughs> Super Andy T says thankfully not final and Keith Wernert says great long journey uh, so I thought before we summarise I'd like to conclude uh, with uh, Blue All Day's debut post uh, how he concludes um, we heard from him earlier and how he played the game back in 1990 Fast forward to 1997, two consoles and three more Final Fantasy games, and I went back and bought some NES games I missed or never owned, including Final Fantasy at a Funko Land for $15. I thought it was steep at the time. I still have that copy. This time, I played it through to completion one summer. Even though it was starting to show its age, I still loved it. What my imagination as an eight-year-old had filled in was much better than what I was experiencing then at 15. Defeating the four fiends, finding the rat's tail, upgrading characters, finding an airship and confronting chaos are so memorable as events that the lack of story doesn't quite drag it down for me. The game is more about objectives than narrative. Go get this, go fight that, bring this back, etc. In that sense, it's not much different from many open world games today that are asking you to get this and do that with flimsy narrative reasons. 
I pressed on through the increasingly sluggish grind and finally got to the end, a giant yellow demon that fills the entire enemy display box. That final battle is punishingly difficult and I remember barely scraping by with a couple of my party members left. Some nonsense about a time loop being closed and no one knowing your accomplishments was a bit meta and on the nose for beating a game, but at least it's better than the simple congratulations you got at the end of most games from the late 80s to early 90s. I think this game, though important historically, is best left to be remembered. I don't think I can recommend people play it today. This is a gaming touchstone for me and I will always love it, but mostly for the memories. I do think some things still hold up, namely the character designs, the freedom to choose your party and the music. But there are too many archaic systems, too much grinding and so little story that it's practically unplayable. I wouldn't expect anyone to grind through a game like that today. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, hey. it's amazing how he's gone from, uh, you know, incredible affection to uh, to yeah, quite damning, but also through through that um, lens of uh, of nostalgia. Yeah, so, uh, Josh, I'm going to let you summarise first. Would you actually recommend that people play this? I mean, I can't recommend this. I, I don't think Final Fantasy is a bad game. It, I, I never really hit any walls with this, really. At least any walls that couldn't be overcome. Not like Zelda 2. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, God, yeah. Um, <laughs> that couldn't be overcome with just some kind of clever item management and uh, just grinding, basically. Um, it's just it it feels so skeletal to me it, it's just it is the series at its most bare and if if the combat and all of that stuff is enough for you to engage with the you know a final fantasy game fair enough you that you'll probably have a good time i i think there's enough here and i think the art style has its own charm and and all of that stuff but I kind of need the characters and the story and all, all of that stuff to push me forward. So it really depends on what you're here for. Um, if you're here for story, no, sorry. Okay, I was uh, I was playing this mainly for a history lesson and for my own sense of uh, closure and conclusion and education and and all this stuff. And I certainly got that. And uh, I think I've even you know picked up picked up some tips for the later Final Fantasies that I want to go on and play. I have this weird thing where I want to try to play everything, uh, or not everything, but most things. Uh, and that includes the Final Fantasy series. So I have now completed one of the Final Fantasy series. It was the first one. Uh, I was bored at times. I was bored. I have to say. Uh, it uh, it did not always uh, feel like an appealing proposition to turn on my GBA Micro and play. But having said that, oftentimes once I'd actually turned it on and I'd got into the swing of things, I had a perfectly nice time and I did get hooked into the uh, upgrading gear and making your numbers go up kind of thing. Um, I don't think I would have enjoyed it at all and I probably wouldn't have finished it without a walkthrough. Uh, there's too many obscure moments of uh, assuming you know where you need to go and things like that. Uh, which are obviously you know, eliminated really by uh, having some kind of guide to the world and telling you where to go next and, and what to do. Uh, I did try to, you know, I wasn't doing a basically, you know, button push by button push walkthrough. It was a, you know, a kind of just steering you in the right direction where the game doesn't kind of thing for the most part. Um, so, yes, it's one of those where I say, well, I'm glad I finally completed it. I'm glad I've played it. Uh, but I wouldn't strongly recommend that people uh, go back and seek it out unless, like me, they enjoy the sort of history lesson aspect of it. Leah. Yeah, so this is going to come off as the most lukewarm um, <laughs> recommendation ever. Uh, 
so I, I'm kind of I'm kind of on the same uh, the same lines as as Leon. You are. I I think that it is a good thing to play as kind of a history lesson or as um, kind of some perspective if you enjoy this genre. It it really for me at least is fascinating even now to go back and to see kind of where all of this started. Um, but without uh, several caveats, I can't really give it a wholehearted recommendation. I would say use a walkthrough. I would say maybe consider playing the easy mode version if uh, if what you're looking for is just kind of to get an experience uh, as, as to what it was. I, I would also maybe recommend don't be afraid to quit and go to YouTube if you find that you're not enjoying it because it is a lot of grinding and it is a lot of things that will feel very dated kind of no matter what version version you're playing. Uh, if you don't mind that, if you like older games, if you like the Final Fantasy series, it might be worth giving it a shot, but I wouldn't go in with too many expectations of it holding up as a modern game. Fair play. Or you could be like John, a complete nutball. John, <laughs> <laughs> is that fair? Uh, I think there's I, definitely I, an element of truth to that. I say it with affection. Uh, so John, would yeah, I mean, obviously... I'm I'm not trying to um yeah downplay the amount of enjoyment you clearly got out of this at all but I'm interested would given the amount of play you got out of it would you actually recommend our listeners check it out Uh I think it's a very tricky one to recommend and the situation that I came into this from is probably not where anybody else who would be interested in playing Final Fantasy 1 sits Uh I played this four years ago or so yeah. at the time i'd had very little experience with other jrpgs uh, in general i'd only played one or two 8-bit 16-bit ones before and it was just something that i saw in a sale i think i had my phone i thought you know i could get this i could mess about with this and i was going on holiday and i knew that i could play it while i was in the middle of nowhere in scotland or wherever we were thinking yeah i can i can muck about with that for an hour in the evenings and I, yeah, I found it much more enjoyable than I was expecting. I, I sank into it very well, but I also didn't have any of the the hang-ups that people who might have played 20,000 other games similar to this and mm. more recent and better than this uh, have also played. Uh, I think uh, I, I have also now gone on and played a handful more JRPGs, and you know I would say that it's even standing up against similar type JRPGs, I mean, something like Chrono Trigger, Earthbound, they just blow this out of the water now. Um, okay, both of those are five, six years older than this, or newer than this, but it, it's difficult to recommend unless you're in that very specific position of, I don't have any previous expectations, um, because, yeah, it probably does fall down in comparison with its peers. But for what it was, for what it was worth, for the, the cute graphics and the the really nice soundtrack and hearing the Final Fantasy themes that I'd heard in other places but never actually played a game with them. Yeah, I I really got into it. And yeah, I'd recommend it, but with lots of things to bear in mind. <laughs> all right. Well, it remains for me, Leon, to thank Josh, Leah and John, as well as our correspondents and to all of you for listening. Uh, and I suppose I can say that the plan is currently... Uh, without announcing the next volume because we haven't fully scheduled it yet the plan is to cover one final fantasy game every other month 
for the next year at least, possibly the next two years. Uh, so yes, your calculations are correct. If all goes to plan in a year's time, probably just ahead of Christmas 2018, we'll be doing Final Fantasy VII. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of grinding ahead of us. Um, but we've we've jumped out the airship door now, so that's uh, there's <laughs> there's no going back in. Uh, remember, if you've enjoyed this and our other shows and are looking forward to our future shows, including this epic Final Fantasy series, you can support us. Please do consider heading to our Patreon page. Donate the minimum of a dollar a month. And more is gratefully accepted as well. Patreon.com slash Rinse and help us out. Next time, in issue 298, I won't do the voice. I'm the best our Mario Kart 64 podcast. <laughs> <laughs>